0: Oh God, whenever we gather and open your Bible and, and speak the word, God, we, we must sit on the edge of our seats because we believe that when your spirit carries your word out, that, that it can have incredible, powerful impact on our lives. It can transform us and change us. Um, and I pray that we'll be changed today, we'll be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ and, and I pray that passionately because I know how badly I need that myself. Um, God, I see your son, Jesus, and I hear the call to be like him, and I, and I want to, and I ask, um, I ask God, just in your mercy, that you'll, you'll open our eyes wide just to see him and, and see how to just walk in intimacy. With you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 John 5. If you don't, Alex is passing them out. 1 John 5, we're going to be in verses 6 through 12. 1 John is near the end of the New Testament. 1 John 5, 6-12 reads as follows. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given us about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What is your testimony? Um, If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably been asked this question. It doesn't take more than maybe one day of coming to commit your life to follow Jesus Christ that that probably somebody hearing about it will say, well, what's your testimony? And if you're not a Christian, that would probably scare you to death, because you're like, what are they asking me? Right? Like, testifying in court. Right? What is your testimony? And what they're simply asking you is, make a statement to me. Tell me a story that describes your life and how you came to know Jesus is who the Bible says he is. What's your testimony? Um, as I thought about this, because there's, there's, it says three testimonies offered here, I, I started just thinking about the idea of testimony, and I thought um, of, of how often I have been in those circles, um, whether it's at a camp or at a small group or some other location where somebody will... Will come up with the question and ask you to share your story. and And I thought, you know, what? there's never been one moment that's happened. And I thought, I love this question. <laughs> there's never been one time where I'm like, <laughs> like the first guy to raise my hand. I'll share my story. And usually I, I wait. and 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 I started thinking, why do I wait? Why Why am I not the first guy? I I have uh, heard about Jesus and and known about him since the the first time I can form a thought of, of having a concept of anything, um, the Word of God and the testimony of Scripture was a part of that because I was raised in a home where my dad was a pastor right, and faithfully preached the Word. And yet, why, why am I not someone who will immediately say, let me tell you the story? And, and as I thought through that, I, I wrote three things down of, of why... I oftentimes hesitate to give my testimony. And, and I wonder if any of these resonate with you. Um, and the first is this. I think that part um, of it is that I don't, I don't live a terribly reflective life. Um, I'm an introspective person, so I think a lot. But I'm not constantly reflecting upon my own story. Thinking about the meaning in it and how it all ties together... And I'm somebody who really likes being prepared for these things. So if somebody's going to ask me a question, I want to give you the right answer. Any of you there? Like, <laughs> like okay, you're asking me a huge question. I don't think I'm ready for this. I haven't processed all the information that we'll go into. So I have my, my five-minute testimony, right, that I can give you. But whenever I give that testimony, there's something in me that is going, there's more. And I don't, I don't quite know how to say that. The second is that I don't always know how to live in my own story. (coughs) I don't always know how to live within my own story. And what I mean by that is that that when I look at my own life, I haven't necessarily figured out how to live it well. (laughs) Right? And, And yes, I preach to you often. And yet, me as a person, I can't say, look at my life and just follow it. And so when I give my testimony, that's a challenge for me because I feel like I'm setting up an example of some sort, right? And I don't, I don't know how to do that. And the last thing is that, that oftentimes I feel like I'm trying to prove something rather than show something. right? When there's, a, when there's a testimony given, I often feel like I'm trying to prove something to you rather than show something to you. So prove that I am something extraordinary rather than show you maybe the man that I simply am, right? Prove, well, hello, Scarlett. (laughs) I was wondering who was creaking the door behind me. (laughs) Okay, so back on track, cute girl just walked in. Okay, now you're focusing. (laughs) So have you guys ever come to that point when you're sharing a testimony where you think, how am I going to prove that I'm a Christian rather than saying, man, I'm trying to figure out Maybe come to understand fully what it means that I am a Christian, right? Those are two very different things. So, challenge of testimony. First, maybe we aren't constantly reflecting about the purpose and meaning of our own lives, right? Second is that our own stories, sometimes we feel like foreigners in. And the last is we feel like we're trying to Prove something rather than simply show something or understand something. I, I brought for you today a story, <clears throat> not my own, to help you <clears throat> see how God has worked in the life of an individual. And I want you to begin. Um, there's going to be a pop quiz at the end of this, um, and that's going to be. I, I want you guys to be in processing. <clears throat> Um, what you relate with in this story, maybe something stuck out to you, maybe something in this brief story impacts you in such a way that you go, I hear Jesus in their story, and that speaks life to me. Right. So I want you to be listening for this. This is a story that was shared last year at a memorial service I was at of a really good friend. His name was Liam Corcoran. Um, he died at the age of 24, and he was a, a very young man. You'll hear his, his testimony that he, he wrote just, um, just a year or two before he passed away. And, oh, thank you. I didn't think I sounded that bad until I saw someone holding water for me. <clears throat> so, the story of Liam Corcoran, um, let it speak to you as he was somebody who lived his life knowing that he was going to die at a young age. And I think this is very powerful. He writes, As I gather my thoughts together about my testimony, the first thing that strikes me is that this story is not nearly as much about me pursuing God as it is about God pursuing me. I wouldn't say that I met God by any great effort of my own. I remember professing faith at a young age, but I do not recollect it or as arising from any deep conviction. Rather, I look back and I see the story of, as that of a son pursued by a faithful and loving God. While my life shares many similarities with those who grew up under the shelter of loving Christian parents, God also used a lot of hard circumstances to bring me to himself. One of the, one of the most powerful circumstances God used to get my attention was through, an, was through illness and loss. When I was eight, through a series of small medical issues, I was diagnosed as exhibiting all the traits associated with a genetic connective tissue disorder called Marfan's syndrome. Marfan's affects most major body systems. The eyes, the heart, the muscles, and skeleton are all particularly impacted. At the age of eight, the diagnosis didn't have a lot of force. I had to change some elements of my life, but many things continued as they had before. Behind this diagnosis lay suggestions that at least one of my parents had probably passed the affected genes on to me. My dad seemed to match some of the phenotype most closely. However, without definitive genetic testing, which wasn't widely available at the time, there wasn't any way of knowing for sure. At the age of 11, I faced the reality of my dad's illness and my own. On a snowy day in December, my dad collapsed at work. He was a a police officer in Pullman. Um, He was rushed to the hospital. He suffered an aortic dissection, a splitting apart of the major blood vessel leading away from the heart. The weather was so bad that night that they had to drive him up to Spokane rather than fly him. My dad was in a coma for three weeks after that day. First... Family, friends came to our house to take care of us as my mom went to Spokane, and then eventually we all went there. We spent Christmas with a family as my dad remained in a coma. There are a few distinct things I remember from that time. I remember going into my dad's room to read Psalms to him, sitting in the hospital waiting room, seeing visitors come in and go. I remember my mom calling us into a room at our friend's house to tell us that dad wasn't going to recover. And that they had to take life support away from him. I remember standing in the room full of his friends and family singing hymns as we let him go. My mom holding me in her arms. It was in that shadow that God spoke to me for the first time. I don't know how to describe it, but I know that God made promise to me that day. In the middle of the chaos and uncertainty, God promised that he would be faithful and take care of me. With that promise came peace that I could not explain. I believe it is the peace that scripture describes as a peace that surpasses all understanding. Since that day, God has been faithful to his promise. He has been gentle and patient, working constantly to renew and shape me. My walk since then has been far from easy. Seeing death face to face is a powerful experience. I grew up often overshadowed by the reality that the disease I watched take my father would more than likely take me in the same way at a very young age. To compound the thought, I faced two bouts of potential life-threatening illnesses during my teen years, one of which landed me in the hospital for 20 days. During those years, I faced significant depression, knowing that it was likely knowing what was likely going to happen in my future and knowing the pain of loss so closely, I wondered why anyone would value me or befriend me, or why a girl would consider marrying me. These thoughts fused with the idolatry of affection for others as a measure of worth. Deep pain requires a deep answer, and I thought that the answers would come from being valued by other, other people. Cynicism set in, and at that time, in my heart, I thought I couldn't survive college. These thoughts... And idols compounded. In My junior year of high school, I was wrung out spiritually. In that time, I cried out to God, confessing the way I had chased after the approval of others. God was gentle in bringing me back, and I chose to be baptized that year as an expression of my faith. Since then, I've found a sweet times. I've found many sweet times and many difficult ones. Last summer was the hardest of my life. I was surrounded by friends, and doing well. Uh, my sorry, I was surrounded by friends who were doing well. While they were getting jobs and getting engaged, with their future secured, I was rejected by a girl and turned down by jobs that told me I was the top pick. I wrestled with God, and I wrestled with why I had life I had and why he chose to bless everyone around me while I struggled. He did not so much answer me as reveal things to me, and I learned two things that summer, that I wanted to know God intimately and that I wanted to love and cherish and rejoice with his children. I didn't, want to, I didn't want depression or hardship to get in the way of those things. God is still working a lot in my heart. He still pulls out lies and cynicism that has carved its way into my heart during seasons of depression. He pulls out idolatry of affection for others and thoughts that there's no way I can be happy if I don't have X, Y, and Z or if I'm single till I die, and if all my friends get married and have kids. In 2 Corinthians, it says, we have this treasure, hope in Christ, and broken jars of clay to reveal that the all-surpassing power of life is not from us, but is from God. My jar is pretty broken, but God is always faithful in renewing my hope and setting my heart on things of above. <clears throat> that, that testimony of Liam is so powerful because if you knew the man, um, his life was lived incredibly beautiful. I, I remember it was my, my uh, the year after I graduated from college, I stayed to do a, a brief stint leading a college ministry in Pullman, and that was Liam's freshman year there. And I remember when we would gather the freshmen, we called them the freshmen because there was this group of, of young guys who had just come up, and they were all so close, and Liam was a part of that. But he was very distinct at the same time from that group because there was a real seriousness about Liam. There was a seriousness about life that you couldn't shake out of him, no matter how hard you tried. I remember having Bible studies with people, and these other guys would be tracking, getting excited, and Liam would just be very, very still in the midst of all that. And I remember trying to, even at some times, while I was leading these studies or even spending time with him, try to get a reaction from him. And he had this stillness and depth that was very, very unshakable. And, and after that time and, and as his life progressed, um, that stillness turned into, as he wrote here, into an incredible sweetness as he learned to accept what God had given him. And that acceptance turned into an incredible outpouring on the lives of many, many, many people. Um, And that's the Liam story. Um, It was last year I got a call at midnight of our good friend John Maxwell, who many of you know. He did a summer internship here. John was Liam's best friend. And John called me on his way to the hospital because Liam had collapsed. And um, in a very similar um, situation um, transpired as happened in his his father's um, room. People gathered, sang hymns, and, and saw... Liam, um, into his eternal home. And, uh, and so why do I share this? The reason why I share this is because his testimonies or stories have incredible meaning. Stories have incredible meaning. And when we come to the Bible, which surprises us because the Bible is a collection of many, many stories, right? There's, there's other parts, not all stories, but the Bible's probably about 80% just story, right? Some of that stories is written through poetry or foretelling, but a lot of it's just simply narrative. And we wonder, what do we do with that? Because most of us want to gain meaning from just having bullet points given to us. Jesus is God, trust in him. You know, there you go. And, and yet you don't get, you get in this incredible story of life that we're meant to read and somehow collect that Perhaps our life, too, when, when reflected on, um, as we look at the Scripture, we learn has meaning also. And so what, what meaning? Um, and so the Bible forces us into purposefulness. Right? A purposeful reading of the Bible, but also just a purposeful reading of our own lives. And, and this is powerful. There's a book by a guy named Eugene Peterson, um, called Eat This Book. And he's writing about the Bible. And and it's profound. He says, we are fond of saying that the Bible has answers, and that is certainly correct. The text of the Bible sets us in a reality that is corresponding with who we were created to be as beings. We understand as we read it. We understand where we fit. As, As beings, human beings made in the image of God, but he says this, but the Bible also has all the questions, many of them, that we would soon enough feel like not asking at all, and some of which we will spend the rest of our lives trying to dodge, right? And so the Bible, as it, as it incites from us this passion to, to live with meaning and find meaning, and it answers some of those questions. It also is asking some fairly difficult questions that we feel like we'd rather avoid. So it can't be simplified. The stories even in the Scripture can't be simplified. And so when we, when we are confronted by challenging situations in our life and are trying to interpret those, we find challenging situations in the Bible. <laughs> We're going, how do, we, how do we find purpose and how do we find meaning in those Things it says the Bi- he writes the Bible is a most comforting book. It is also a most discomforting book. Eat this book, it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will also become bitter in your stomach. You can't reduce this book to what you can handle. You can't domesticate this book to what you are comfortable with. You can't make it your toy poodle trained to respond to your commands. <laughs> That's what you find when you enter the Bible. You can't shape it around what you would like your purpose to be. But when you come to the Bible and you ask, what is my purpose? It, it can be incredibly discomforting because you realize that it's part of a story, a big story that has conflict and has resolve. And, and what part do you fit in that story? So why do I share all this? Well, part of it is that when you come to church on a Sunday morning or when you come to community group on a Wednesday night, what you are coming to hear, whether that be through the singing of songs, or the preaching of the Word, or the discussion of the Bible, is you're, you're coming to get a glimpse of the story of God, a story that God's telling, and we're, we're trying to find where we are located within that, right? What's our spot in the big story that God is telling and I, and I hope we're helpful with that when you come on Sunday mornings, when you come on Wednesday nights. And, and what 1 John calls this, he calls it the testimony of God. And it's all pointing to one thing. He says the whole purpose, inspired by the Spirit, is something that's eternal. Right? It's incredible, and we're going to get to this more later, but it's incredible how he simplifies it. Down here in verse 11, he says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Right? The testimony of God consolidated. Verse 11, this testimony is that God has given us eternal life, and that eternal life is in his son. So, how can John simplify this? Well, he can simplify it at this point because we've worked through, according to our numbering system, five chapters and ten verses already, right? So that's, that's how we're located here in this simplification. We've worked through a lot. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we talked about, about how Jesus is from the beginning, right? That's how it, it all starts. And he's, he's um, arguing against or he's confronting a, a lie that, that had uh, attacked the church called Gnosticism that tried to dethrone Jesus from being god and make him just a man right and that's actually one of the reasons why he talks about the blood and the water which can kind of be seem cryptic <laughs> and he talks about that because they they some of the gnostics thought that Jesus maybe had Jesus and the Christ were two different people and the Christ just entered Jesus at the baptism but left before the crucifixion right and so John is writing and saying no no that's not the case but but the challenge is if if that's not the if that's not the story, how do we know the other one's the true story? Right? Are you guys, did you guys ever wonder that? Like, so why were the Gnostics kicked out? <laughs> that's been a, a big dialogue since books like The Da Vinci Code. We're like, why were the Gnostics? They were the real ones, right? How can we say no to one story and yes to another story? And that's a really important question. And, and, and so I'm going to answer for it to you today. Are you guys ready for that? Okay, I know you're all excited. Right? Okay, because that's a big question. How do we know that this is the true story? And, and, and it's because we have, it's this beautiful thing when you tell a story. You have context. Everyone say context. Context, okay. Context is so important when you're telling a story. Right? I hear stories all the time. All week long I hear stories. You have know, someone come in, a kid come in, they're like, Gosh, I got got pulled over by the cops again. You're like, Well, why? <laughs> well, I was just standing there. Come and find out there was a no-loitering sign, right? That's context. Right? <laughs> it's amazing what comes out under the light of context. And that's so important when you're reading. The Bible, when you're understanding the story of God, that you take it within the context of the whole. Okay, and this isn't this isn't rocket science. When you when you look at Liam's story, and you see at the age of eight when he was diagnosed with Marfan's, and you see at the age of eleven when he lost his father, and then he entered into high school and had depression because his his friends were. You know, he thought, man, once I lose these friends, I'll never get new friends. They won't want to be my friend because I might die at a young age. And, and that happened. Those conflicts can become beautiful in the context of what God is shaping him to become as he comforts many people, right? Even your life. That's why it's so hard for me to share my testimony as I shared earlier. Because I have a hard time sometimes knowing that I don't get the context all the time. Right? You asked me three days ago when I was sick, and the context would not have been... I, you know, with my limited framework, I would have given you a very grim story, maybe. I'm dying. right? But in the context of my life, that was very insignificant. Um, so what God is doing, God is shaping... And, and so John has beg- began by giving us some of the context. If you flip to the very beginning of 1 John, he begins by just giving you this, like, this real, thorough, uh, brief overview. Starting in verse 1, he says, John 1, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the con- he kind of like wraps his arms around this very large context. He goes, so what I'm explaining to you isn't, isn't new, It's not the hot new thing. What I'm explaining to you is from the beginning. The context is from from eternity out. Because he even brings that in later where he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. So Jesus himself, not a momentary Jesus, not a Jesus that, that had a brief spiritual moment when he was on this earth, but God himself, eternal life itself, who was incarnate in the form of Jesus. Amen? That's that's powerful. So the context being something much larger, and he's kind of trying to to incorporate the whole corpus of Scripture into our view here as we look and see who Jesus is. Uh, in, in, In a couple simple words... And I want to just show you how cool this is. In a couple simple words, I think he also broadens the, the context um, tremendously by talking about the testimony of the spirit and of the water and of the blood. And, and I think here he is referring specifically to jargon used by the Gnostics when they talk about the water and how... Um, How they believed Jesus was just momentarily filled with the water but left. So I think with the water and the blood, um, he's kind of addressing their issues. But when he says the the testimony of the Spirit and the water and the blood, consider the amazing testimony these are when considering the full context of the Bible. So so when I say context of the Bible, look up here. There you go. Um, 66 books, right? They're all together. When you consider the whole context of Scripture, this is super important. So, water, blood, spirit. What is he talking about? Water, constantly referred back to throughout the whole Bible as this experience of the children of Israel getting rescued from their exile, right? Their, their, sorry, their, um, their brief period in Egypt of slavery and this exodus through the Red Sea. So that's constantly referred to back. And as you move into the New Testament, the water refers to baptism. Right? There's first the baptism of John, but then Jesus does undergo his own baptism. And then we think of this incredible context. We participate in this testimony when we baptize people here on a Sunday morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing God's plan of, of rescue, right? As even in the New Testament, as it talks about the uh, Israelites getting rescued from Egypt and coming through the Red Sea, it talks about Jesus, right? Who was buried in the ground, right? And this kind of moves us into his blood, right? As Jesus was crucified. What, what, what is the context there? Well, in the Old Testament, we also have the Passover lamb, right? Who every year, a Passover lamb was sacrificed to remind the children of Israel that they need, they need an atonement for their sins, right? And so when Jesus comes, what do they say? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Context. It's a beautiful thing, right? Right? Behold, the Lamb of God, we've waited. Every year we've sacrificed the Passover Lamb. Every year we've longed for it. We have that context. And now, Jesus' sacrifice contains so much more meaning that can't be snatched away by the Gnostics. Does that make sense? Can't be taken away and interpreted a different way. In the same way, we take communion on Sunday mornings as a participant in that context of the testimony of God. That's amazing. I hope you guys are beginning to wrap your mind around this just a little bit. The Spirit, as it talks about in the Scripture, the Spirit of God who spoke through Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament and then spoke through Jesus, right? And now has continuing testimony through the apostles and even the testimony He puts in us who say Jesus is Lord, right? And our hearts are filled with affirming what God's doing, the testimony of God. Context. is a beautiful thing. And so what I want to ask is, do you guys live your life in context? Do you guys live your life in, in context? Or do you guys locate yourself somewhere outside of that? Right? And so you're constantly wondering, what's my purpose? What am I here for? I don't know what's going on. If someone would just tell me what's up. And, and what God is, is doing is He's saying, look at my story, and I'm including you in this. And some of the ways we find ourselves included are as we are baptized. Right? As we're baptized, remembering the way God rescues. Right? As we take communion and remembering the way God saves. As we wait upon him and listen for the affirmation of his spirit that says, "You're mine." And that's incredibly powerful. So what I want to leave you guys is, is with this. if you guys live your life in context or not, is that what I would ask each of you to do is to today, or sometime this week Work at writing out your story, Um, and seeing, just see what comes out. (laughs) Um, What's what's your testimony? Because each of our stories tells a truth. I believe each of our stories tell the truth, and so as we get them out, and as honest as as honest as we can be, right? um, Say what what truth is my life telling? Is you. You heard Liam's story, and you asked yourself, what did I relate with in that. Do I relate at all with it? Um, and as you do that, is the Spirit affirming in you passionately the ownership of God over your life? I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. And this is important because I'm not saying that if that isn't what comes out, that's not what you are, right? Um, But you guys have to think through this. You guys have to go through your story and say, what do I testify with my life? If someone were to look point-blankly at my life, and see what I testify to, not, not just what I say when people are around, but what, do I, what, do, what does my heart speak? What does the Spirit within me say? And, and if we never come to a moment where we're honest about that, I think we'll go for a long time not living in the context of what God is offering, and that context is eternal life now. Not someday. Don't put it off because you think, oh, when I die, then my eternal life will start. No, no, it, the context is clearly now. The life is in His Son, and that life is now. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life now. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Right? So don't, don't put it off. Ask yourself, what do I testify to? Is there there a hopeful testimony of Jesus in me? And and if not, is there something that is silencing the Spirit of God in you? Are there patterns in your life or behaviors that you're allowing to exist there that are stopping you from, from really being a testament to the work of Jesus? And if you've come to put your faith in Him, I say this, don't condemn yourself by those things, but realize that God is welcoming you back. He's saying, come back. Experience eternal life. Enjoy relationship with me. Because that's the way 1 John starts. right? This life, it says, um, you have eternal life, which is with the Father. We proclaim to you that you might have fellowship right now with the Father and the Son. We write this so our joy can be complete. We want you to be Joyful about it. We want you to have life and life to the full. So there's something keeping you from that. And can you, can you testify to that? And, and I believe that is, that is the reason, that is the full reason why John is writing this letter. Because there's been something that has kept this church, this church that he's writing to, from experiencing the joy of the Lord and testifying to His powerful work in their life. Um, and, and I'm going to join you in doing that this week. I'm going to join you in, in, in again looking at my life and, and saying, are there things that are holding me back from testifying to the work of God that is available to me, the eternal life now that's available to me in Christ Jesus. and And I can... Uh, desire nothing greater for you as a church than to just have life full and abundant because there's nothing hindering you from testifying to the work of Jesus. Um, I just pray that we can do this together. There was, uh, after hearing my dad share last week um, about their experience going to the conference, Voice of the Martyrs, and some stories I read this week. Um, I had at the bottom of my notes as I wrote my whole sermon the simple question, and I wasn't actually going to share it, but I think it's appropriate. Um, the simple question, do the sermons preached at the Refuge Church tell a truth that inspires a martyr's conviction? <laughs> right? Do the sermons we preach here at the Refuge Church inspire someone to give their whole life? <laughs> because if they don't, you know, they're not going to be something that helps you find your purpose and your meaning. Because right, your purpose and your meaning should require your whole life. It should be something that consumes you and excites you, makes you passionate want to give everything. And, and this, the testimony of God, which is this, God has given eternal life, and this life is in his Son, is worth your whole life. And I hope that as a church we can just discover that together. Man, I, I just pray freedom over you guys and over myself to discover that more this week. So pray with me, and we'll worship together. Father, I know that that, that many of us are weighing the odds still. Um, Is this conviction worth consuming us? Or or maybe do some of the other promises of the world, are they better? And and God, I pray in your mercy that you will allow us to, to take a serious look at our lives, to see that you're worth it, As the song says, "Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all." And we will, we will walk, not just as individuals towards you, but together as a church. I pray this powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.